Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. It's, it's uh, three out of four weeks, and that's fun for me to be able to be here in Layton three out of four weeks. It's not normal for our teaching schedule. If, you are a, if you're new with us today, uh, my name is Pastor Brian, and, and I'd love to meet you. Uh, if, you haven't, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my wife and I will be up here after the service today. We sure would love to meet you and, and put a face with a name, answer any questions you might have about Alpine. Now, we are in our seventh or eighth. It's, we've kind of lost track because what we've been doing since the beginning of the year is we've been studying the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to the gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and we're finishing up this little mini-series within a series. So we, we spent several weeks in chapter 1, and then this is our fourth week that we're spending in Mark chapter two. And the subtitle for this little mini-series on Mark chapter two is uh, Challenging Religion, because this is where Jesus is encountering religious people and he's challenging religion. So if you've missed any of this, you can find all this online at pursuegod.org. In fact, I'm just looking in there now, I'm just gonna give you a little recap. Week one we in this series, we covered the first 12 verses of chapter two, and this is where we talked about um, how Jesus is greater than religion. If you weren't here, what we talked about was Jesus is preaching this sermon and uh, he's in this packed house, this crowded house, and four friends bring a paralytic to him and they lower the paralytic in front of him. And Jesus looks down at this paralyzed guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, that kind of set off this, this chain of like murmuring and complaining from the religious leaders. It doesn't even say that they were doing it out loud. It's just that they were thinking that in their hearts and Jesus knew what they were thinking. How many of you sometimes know what your spouse is thinking and they don't even have to say it? I I see women raising their hands everywhere. All the wives, yeah. Men are like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? (laughs) Jesus knew what they were thinking. He understood the judgment in their hearts when he said your sins are forgiven because basically they were saying only God can forgive sins and they were right, only God can forgive sins. What they didn't understand is that Jesus is God. And so Jesus forgives his sins first and then to prove that he had authority to forgive sins, he said get up and walk, take take your mat and walk and the guy did. So the guy walks out of there totally whole. And our point in week one of chapter two is that is that Jesus is greater than religion. He's not against religion. I want to make sure everyone understands that. Jesus isn't against religion. We don't want to give religion like a bad name here. It's just that what tends to happen is religion can go toxic, and that's what happened for these Pharisees and teachers of the law, is they were standing in judgment of Jesus and didn't really fully understand who Jesus was. They didn't understand Jesus' identity. See, Christianity should point us to Jesus. Christianity should point us to Jesus. The Bible points us to Jesus, and Jesus is really the point of religion. So then in week two, we, we looked at two different kinds of people. We had some fun in week two. I was here for that week as well, in verses 13 to 17, where Jesus interacts with, with on one hand, tax collectors and sinners so a tax collector back then would have, been a, would have been someone who was collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans. So a Jewish person would have, would have really looked down on a tax collector because he was like a traitor to go, over, to go side with the Romans. 
You remember that the Jewish people at this time were expecting that God was going to send this Messiah who was going to come and set their people free from Roman oppression. This, this was kind of the expectation, even of Jesus' disciples. They expected that, that Jesus was going to, the Messiah, if Jesus was the Messiah, they were expecting that he was going to set the, the Israelites free from Roman oppression. And yet then Jesus encounters this guy named Levi, also known as Matthew, and he invites Matthew, who's a tax collector, to come be one of his followers, one of his like inner circle followers, which was crazy. Because again, the, the expectation is we're supposed to be freeing the Jews from Roman oppressors. We're not supposed to be inviting them to join us. And yet Jesus invites Levi to join them, this tax collector. And it leads to this statement that we looked at in week two of this chapter two series where Jesus said, I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And so we just talked about the difference between those two groups. Do you, do you think you're righteous or do you know you're a sinner? Now, remember, the big takeaway that week was that actually every one of those people in both categories is still a sinner. We're all sinners because you see how Jesus said it, those who think they're righteous? So you might think you're righteous, but actually you're a sinner, so another way to say it is those who know they're sinners and those who don't know they're sinners, right? There are two kinds of people, those who know that they're sinners and those who don't know that they're sinners. And Jesus' whole point is, I can only help the first group. I can only help you if you recognize you're a sinner. If you think you're not a sinner, if you think that you're better than everybody else, if you think you don't know, you don't need the grace of God, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, if you think you don't need that, then you'll never have a relationship with God. You'll never be forgiven of your sins because you need to admit and acknowledge and recognize that you're a sinner if you want access to the grace that Jesus so freely offers us. And so we looked at that in week two. By the way, in a little bit, in, in a coming sermon, we're gonna talk about the unforgivable sin, so you'll wanna make sure to keep coming back because there is one unforgivable sin, and that's all I'm gonna say about that. You'll have to come back to learn about that. Now, last week, in week three, we had Pastor Jared here, and we, we were talking last week about the religion police. And this, this, Jesus uses this wedding feast as an illustration, and the religion police, you know that someone's a religious police when, when they're pointing fingers at everybody else and talking about the checklist that you're failing to keep. So, right, if you remember last week, Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And so the religion police were like, hey, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus' whole point is that they will come when they're going to fast. But right now, this is a wedding feast. Like, you wouldn't fast at a wedding feast. Basically, Jesus was saying, fasting is good. Spiritual disciplines are great. But there's a time and a place for all of them. And he kind of puts the religion police in their place a little bit. And then he, he ends, last week we ended with this imagery about new, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. In other words, Jesus is saying, and this is a good way to summarize where we've been so far, Jesus is saying, I've come to bring new wine. I've come to bring this, this new experience, this new understanding of a relationship with God. Basically, I've come to redefine religion. And I love that he uses wine and wineskins because the reason he said you need new wineskins for new wine is because if you put 
If you put new wine that hasn't been fermented yet, if you put it into old, like, inflexible wineskins, then as the, as the wine ferments and creates those gases, it's going to burst the old wineskins. So he says you need new, wi- new wineskins for new wine. You need something that's, a little, that's got a little more give in it, a little bit more flexible. And I love that you, Jesus uses wine because his first miracle was to turn water into wine. And I think that's, that's really significant that this was Jesus' first miracle. Now, we don't see it in the Gospel of Mark. We see it in the Gospel of John that Jesus is there at a, at a wedding party. So it really is a lot, there's a lot connected to what we looked at last week. Jesus is at, at a wedding party, and his mom comes up to him, and he says, we've run out of wine at the wedding, which is incredibly embarrassing in their culture. And so she says, we need to do something about it, i.e., you need to do something about it, Jesus. And so Jesus, if you know the story, Jesus goes over to these, to these, big, these big jars of ritually clean water. So it's the kind of water that was, that, that was representative of the purity of Jewish people, the purity that God calls us to in the Old Testament. And he goes over to those big jars. They, they would have been like 20 gallons, right? And he... He says to the servants, he said, dip your ladle in there, and they do it, and, and he turned water into wine. He turned water into wine. But it's more than that he turned water into wine. There's so much to that story. What he was doing is he was making that ritually unclean now. This was, this, this, these water jars were important. They, were, they had significance to the Jewish religion, and I think that's why Jesus did that as his first miracles. He was trying to show them that he's doing something different. And water into wine wasn't his, maybe his most impressive miracle. It didn't really change anyone's life like we've seen in so many of the other miracles. But I think he was trying to send a message about the message that he was bringing, that Jesus wanted to bring joy, because that's what wine represents, joy. And so Jesus' first miracle was water into wine, talking about how the ritual, the ritual system, the whole intention of the ritual system, which is that ritually clean water, that's what that represented. The whole intention is to bring joy to our lives. But that's not what happens with toxic religion. With toxic religion, the rituals don't tend to bring joy. The rituals just tend to bring depression and fear and anxiety and obligation. And so Jesus is saying something when he turns water into wine for his first miracle, just like Moses was saying something when he turned water into blood for his first miracle. If you know that story in the Old Testament, that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, "Uh uh-uh. And so God says, all right, we're going to do this then to show you. And you remember what he does? He turns the Nile River into blood because blood represents judgment. And Jesus' first miracle is to turn that purified water into wine because wine represents joy. And this is new wine in new wineskins. Jesus is saying, I've come to do something different. I've come to, he says it another way in Matthew, he says, I've come to fulfill the law. Not to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. I want to make sure you understand what all the law was supposed to be pointing to in the first place because the law was intended to set us free. The law was intended to 
a good illustration we're going to use today is the law was intended to be like a, like a fence around a great big yard next to a freeway. This is one of my favorite illustrations of the law. You, you know, your parents, you've got this great big wonderful yard, but, you, but, but they're putting Legacy Highway right behind your house now. And so now your kids can't go out there anymore and just freely play soccer. They're afraid to kick the ball because it might go into the street. So what do you do? Out of your love and grace for your kids, you put up this nice big fence, nice and tall. And now what, what does that allow them to do in the backyard? They can, now they can play. They don't have to worry about it. They can run around and have, have fun now, kick it as hard as they want to because, because they've got boundaries now in place and they can enjoy, now they can really enjoy their time in your backyard. That's what the law was intended for. The law was intended to set us free to enjoy life within the boundaries that God set up for us because God made us and he knows what's best for us. And all of that is a good intro to today's topic because today, as we finish up this chapter two, and we're going to get into chapter three a little bit today, we're going to talk about love or legalism. And I want to start with this question for us today, and I, I really want you to think about this as we get into the message today. What pleases God, do you think? You know, after four weeks in this, what do you think pleases God? Keeping the law or loving people? How many of you think it's loving people? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's keeping the law? Raise your hand. So you guys are paying attention-ish. See, I knew we would all do this, by the way, that we would say, well, it's one or the other, right? I mean, I know that question was a little bit of a trick question because I didn't give you the third option. What if he cares about both? See, this is what I wanted to make sure that we end on this today, that we end with this question because we're going to get one more story here about Sabbath keeping. We're going to get into this here in a second. But even as we talk about this story, I, I want us, we're going to, once again, we're going to pay attention to what Jesus is saying to the people in his day. Because the church in his day, synagogue in his day, had turned totally toxic. Where it was all, they thought that it was all about keeping the law. And they forgot to love people in the process. Because this is what toxic religion does. Toxic religion gets so focused on keeping the law that you exclude people. You forget what the whole point of the law is. You forget that the boundaries are there so that people can have fun and, and play in that backyard and enjoy their time. You forget this. You forget that it's about loving people. But at the very end today, I just want to make sure that I address the other side of this because I think we could go too far. And I think church today goes too far. I'm not necessarily our church. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts on that. But I think that today what we do is he only cares about loving people. And so we throw, throw the law out altogether. We tear down our fences. And I think we go too far when we do that. We're gonna look at the first, the first distortion. The first problem is when you distort the law but I want to make sure at the end to talk about what happens when we distort love, which might be more applicable. But let's look at Scripture first. I think it's important for us to understand Scripture. And in or, before we get to Mark chapter 2, we need, to talk, we need to give some background from the Old Testament about the Sabbath. Because we're going to talk about the Sabbath today. Okay, So Sabbath keeping. Here's where it comes from, Exodus 20. 
It's one of the Ten Commandments. And here's what God said. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now pay attention to what this commandment was from thousands of years ago and what the purpose is behind this commandment. I think it's important for us to understand not just the commandment, the letter of the law, but it's important for us to understand the spirit of the law. So he says this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now look, this is interesting. I didn't notice this really before. He says, look, you shouldn't, your son or your daughter shouldn't, your male servant or your female servant shouldn't, even your livestock, even animals were supposed to have a Sabbath. That's interesting. Or the sojourner who is within your gates, the foreigner, the immigrant, Look, it's so interesting that this commandment specifically extends to everybody in the community. Everybody in the community needs some rest. Everybody in the community needs to take a break. So then he says this, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So look, the, the Sabbath was something that even God himself practiced. I mean, it's the basis for the whole thing is God worked. He said, let there be light. Let there be all these things. He, he creates the whole world, everything in it, including human beings. And then on the seventh day, he rested and he sat back and he said, this is good. I like this. What a, what a, good, what a good model for us that we should, by the way, work hard on six days. Did you notice that? All you young people all you millennials, I'm not gonna pick on millennials, but I think I've heard it said that we need to pay attention to the other side of this one as well, that the, in, embedded in the Sabbath principle is the idea of working hard on the other days. So you work hard, you put in a good day's work, you give your best effort at work or at school or wherever, and then you rest, and then you work hard, and then you rest. This was a culture where, where there weren't labor laws, there weren't principles, there weren't guidelines, there weren't values, there was slavery, and they would just, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, the Egyptians didn't let them practice Sabbath. They worked them like dogs. And so see, God's, the whole reason for this, and we always have to understand context when we see something like this, the whole reason for this is that God wanted he wanted to set up boundaries for the flourishing of the people. And this is thousands of years old. How crazy is this? That, that God would think about all these people. I care about your well-being. I care about your health. I care about your physical safety. I care about your mental health. Like this is the God of the Bible from all the way back in the Old Testament. This is how God, this is how God thinks about us. He cares about us. And he wants us to have boundaries. He wants us to have a fence. Some of you, by the way, never take a break. So this sermon is directly for you. You need to stop it. Or you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy. Some of you are like that. I'm one of those guys. I needed this sermon probably five years ago. And I've really, more and more, I've really understood the concept of the Sabbath. And I've been applying it in my life a lot better than I used to. And I know some of you are like that. 
But let's go on to the text now. Mark chapter two, here we are. One Sabbath day, now that we have the background, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Okay, let's just pause here for a second. And by the letter of the law, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, that's probably true. The letter of the law, they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But all they were doing was breaking off some heads of grain to eat. And the, the, fair, the religion police, let's use a word from last week, the religion police are, are calling that harvesting grain. So were they really harvesting grain? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, we actually have a very specific verse that describes this. Deuteronomy 23, 25, it says this. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, that's what, they've been do- that's what they were doing, right? You may pluck the ears with your hand. You're allowed to pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Putting a sickle to the standing grain would be harvesting it, right? But he said, you can pluck some if you want and eat it. You just can't put a sickle to it. So isn't this typical of religious police? The, what the religion police were doing is they were, they were, by being so focused on the letter of the law, they actually even missed the letter of the law. They were actually wrong. They weren't harvesting. They said, you're harvesting grain, but they weren't harvesting grain. Now, if I was Jesus, and Jesus basically wrote this, so I would have just thrown this verse in their face and done a little mic drop moment right there, you know? But that's not what happens. Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures, by the way, this is a great, great phrase in your marriage to use, is if you feel like your spouse is being judgmental, is like, do you even read the Bible? That's a really helpful question to ask your spouse in the middle of, a, of an argument. Anyway, it's biblical, right? Jesus said, do you even read the Bible, right? Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? It's from, I think it's 1 Samuel 16, if you wanna look this up. He went to, into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest. He was on the run with his, with his mighty men and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now this is crazy. So again, you can go back and read this. They're on the run. They come to, they come to the temple of the Lord and there's no food anywhere and the only food that the priest has to offer them is the, whole, is the sacred bread. It's called the bread of the presence. That's pretty intense. So this is holy bread, kind of like the, the water in the jars. This is holy bread only to be used in the temple, nowhere else. And here David and his companions are on the run and they're hungry, and this is crazy. The priest says, this is all I have, but here you can eat it. 
And so David and his companions ate the holy bread, the bread of the presence. And they lived. God didn't strike him dead. The, the priest didn't say this is wrong. Even the Pharisees wouldn't say that that was wrong because they knew the story. So isn't this cool that Jesus could have used like the letter of the law. He could have used that Deuteronomy verse to say, do you even read scripture? Do you even read the Bible? You're misinterpreting the Bible. He doesn't use that. He uses a more intense example. This was a way bigger deal than picking off grains of head. And he's basically saying, this was a huge violation of the letter of the law. And yet it was okay. Because the priest understood the spirit of the law. And so they were, they were not just breaking the Sabbath, but they were, they were eating sacred loaves of bread, and it was okay. And Jesus kind of brings the whole thing home here. He this is, this is sort of the pinnacle of this passage here as we end chapter two. Jesus said to them, here it is. Here's the principle, you ready? The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not the people to meet the needs or the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now look at what he's saying, and I think this is so good for us as we apply this in our lives and in our situations and for our families and for our marriages and whatever. He's saying this, he's saying this, the whole point of the Sabbath, and really we can expand this to the law in general, the whole point of the law is to meet the needs of people. The whole point of the law is, is because God knows that we have needs, like we have a need for rest. He knows that we have needs, and therefore he gave us rules to meet our needs. That's why he gave us rules. But see, toxic religion turned it around, and, and they, they started seeing laws as the end in themselves. Like the goal of the law is to keep the law. Have you ever thought about that? This is how some people view rules. The reason for rules is so that we can keep the rules, which is really ridiculous if you think about it. But the reason it gets to that point is because we get so focused on the rules, we get so focused on the checklist, and especially those of us who are good at that, at keeping the rules. How many of you are good at keeping the rules? Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise your hand for your spouse if they're good at keeping the rules. How many of you are terrible at keeping the rules? Yeah, I have a feeling that there are a lot of us as well. I told my son while, when he was learning how to drive that the stop signs with white around the borders are optional. <laughs> That's all of them, by the way, okay. But see, what Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath was about people. People aren't here to follow arbitrary rules for the sake of the rules. People are here to have a relationship with God who gives us rules that helps us to know how to be safe, helps us to know how to live right, helps us to flourish when we follow these rules. And it's not just the Sabbath and rest and, and, and mental health and physical health. It's not just that, but it's also like rules like sexual purity, young people. The reason that God gives us these rules about, well, not just young people, by the way, all of us. He gives us these rules because 
He wants us to have healthy marriages. He wants us to have healthy households. He wants, the reason God gave us the rule that one man and one woman for life is the definition of marriage is because this is how he made us to work. And it works best when we live like this, and yet we're living in a culture that's just throwing that all out the window. But we as God's people, people of the book, we don't have to throw it out the window. We can say, I'm still gonna to submit to God's way because God's way meets the needs of people. I'm not gonna just submit to the rules, God's rules, because, because I'm really good at keeping rules. I'm doing it because I, I trust God that he knows best. I remember when our kids were younger, I, the, the stove, we had just used the stove and Kenzie was, Kenzie was like over there by the stove. I'm like, Kenzie, don't, don't touch the stove. She was, she was like four or five years old. And she looked at me with, the, I call it the look of Eve. You know, like <laughs> original sin. Like you could see, like I used to call it the look of Tracy, her mom, but then I realized, no, <laughs> it goes way further back than that. The look of Eve that just, she's just gonna be, she's just gonna push back against that rule a little bit. And I remember, I remember just thinking, okay, you can touch that stove if you want to, but you're gonna find out I know more than you think. And see, we're all like this a little bit, right? We all just kind of wanna push up against the rule. We're all like children, we're all like toddlers. We think we know better, we're all like teenagers. We think we know better than our parents. And the older we get, the smarter our parents get, right? We realize that maybe they do know more than we do because they were teenagers once too. And so God's rules are for our good. All of them are. And then we move into this last little section and I wanna finish with this today. We're almost out of time, but we're gonna just get into chapter three a little bit today because it, it really fits in with the theme of what Jesus is talking about. It says that Jesus went into a synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, okay, so it's still the Sabbath. So first it was plucking grain. That was bad enough. But now Jesus is gonna drive the principle home with an even more important illustration. So it was the Sabbath and Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Because if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. See, here's the thing. The Sabbath law, we, we saw what, this, what the rule was on the Sabbath in the Old Testament. But it doesn't, aside from that, it do, the Old Testament doesn't give us very much more direction on the Sabbath. But the Jewish religion started adding all these other rules and laws and all these really specific things about the Sabbath, like how far, how long of a walk you could take on the Sabbath. Or whether you could mow your lawn on this, well, they didn't mow their lawns, but maybe like whether you could, whether you could cook on the Sabbath or what, you, what tools you could use on the Sabbath. So they had all these rules about the Sabbath. So to go back to our illustration, it's kind of like God gave this huge fence, this huge fence over around our lawn so we can play freely. And the Pharisees, toxic religion, started building just tiny little one foot by one foot fences all over the yard. So they'd put a fence around the kid and then they'd put another little, little like a one foot by one foot fence around this next kid. And so visualize this in your mind that that's really what happened by the time Jesus is here is it's not just this big Sabbath fence, it's all these individual fences. How are you gonna play soccer? When you got 30 kids out there and they're all boxed up 
And this is exactly what's happening. They added all these rules and regulations and specifications. Even to this day, Jews in New York, one of the rules, the modern rules now, same thing. Jews in New York say you cannot touch the button on the elevator. That counts as work. So even today, there's still remnants of this kind of stuff. And so Jesus is dealing with this. And they, they, they knew that he wasn't allowed to heal on the Sabbath. And here's what he did. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. I love it. Jesus just goes toe-to-toe with the religion police. He's not gonna like do it on the down low. He's like, all right, let's show everybody something here. He calls him in front of everyone, and then he turned to his critics, and he said this. And look at the spirit of, of, of his question. He's trying, to, he's trying to probe their real understanding of the principle. He says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? See, he frames it in a way that turns it right back on them. Do you really even understand what the law is about? Can we do good deeds or no on the Sabbath? Is it a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And then, here's this mic drop moment. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hearts. Two things I see in this. First, he was angry at them. But even more interesting is the other thing is he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Jesus didn't even hate the Pharisees. Like he just was saddened by the Pharisees. This is a good example for us, by the way, people that disagree with us. I know we can get angry with them, but more than that, we should just be saddened that they don't get it. Jesus was really genuinely saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And it's so interesting how the Pharisees responded. At once they went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. That was their response to this. They didn't celebrate with the guy. They didn't throw a party. They weren't like, oh man, that's awesome. I can't believe it. This guy, his hand is restored, which would mean enough in today's culture, but back then, 2,000 years ago, it was a huge deal. It was a complete life changer for him. He could go and work now. He, he, could, he can actually contribute to society, by the way, speaking of the Sabbath. Like he could actually work for six days and then enjoy a Sabbath. So there's just so much to this story that they could have been celebrating. Jesus brought joy into this guy's life, but they were so focused on the rules that they completely missed out on loving people. So our question, do you think God is more into keeping the rules or loving people? The answer for the Pharisees would be, Guys, you need to see that we should love people. People matter to God. You should celebrate. You shouldn't have hard hearts. You should celebrate because this man is restored. Now, I want to finish by addressing the rest of us because most of us are sitting here after this, these last four weeks in Mark chapter two. Probably, my guess is many of us would be sitting here saying, oh, I can't wait to send this one to this legalistic person who's completely distorted the law and it's all about keeping a list of rules and they're so much better at that than I am and I can't, re- can't wait to send them this zinger. So go ahead and send them a zinger, that's fine. But I think we should also look at the other side of the story. 
Because I, again, I think we can go so far that we distort love. And I think that's what our culture is doing. And even that's what a lot of Christian churches are doing is we're distorting love. That what we're doing is we're taking that fence down altogether and we're throwing it out. And we're saying, do whatever you want because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, so live however you want. You wanna, you wanna live this way? You wanna view sexuality this way? Go for it because Jesus loves you. Jesus died for us so that you could live however you want. Guys, that is distorting love. We as followers of Jesus need to be willing to stand up for what God's word says. We need to look at his law. David himself said it like this, Lord, I love your law. We need to look at his law and we need to say, I love your principles. I love the principle of the Sabbath. I love the things that you've laid out for me and I submit to those things because you're God and I'm not. And as long as we understand that the point of that stuff is is for meeting the needs of people. It's for our own flourishing. I think then we'll do well. But as soon as, we, as soon as we start saying, God doesn't care about this or that or the other thing, and there are no laws, just live however you want. Man, we've gone so far, and we're missing the point. And so in your small groups this week, with your families this week, maybe one-on-one with a mentor, talk about that. How, how is it that we can distort love and throw out the rules altogether and then miss the flourishing that God really intended for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to understand your word. God, I pray that we would strike that balance where we understand the heart of your law, your principles, like the Sabbath principle. God, that we would, that we would satisfy the spirit of the law even though we might not always satisfy the letter of the law. And I pray, especially for anyone who's here today, God, I know we all probably struggle with this, where we struggle to submit to some of the, some of the harder stuff that you say. God, I pray that we would be submitted to every rule and every boundary that you give us for our flourishing. And Lord, I pray that you would set us free in the context of that to live life to the full, the joy that you wanted to bring us the new wine and new wineskins. And God, may that be a reality for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.